Set a spark to your integrated business and marketing strategies with America's top entrepreneurs and business leaders here at Integrate and Ignite with your host, Lori Jones. Welcome to the Integrate and Ignite podcast. Michelle Levitt has been the marketing and creative director for Heil Sound for over 13 years. Heil Sound makes microphones and headsets for stage, studio, podcast, broadcast, and ham radio. Michelle's background is a musician, an artist, a marketer, and a creator. She is also the former CEO of Too Much Neon, a professional podcasting company. She knows from experience that personal development is professional development. When Michelle isn't traveling and going to concerts for work, she can be found traveling and going to concerts for herself. Thank you, Michelle, for your appearance on the Integrate and Ignite podcast. We're so excited to have you today. Thanks for having me. So who's your favorite musician? That's a hard one. (laughs) Uh, Probably my favorite band is the Melvins, but I get the opportunity to see a lot of bands. And just before I got on this call, I was talking to the front of house engineer for Robert Randolph and the family band. And if you've never had the chance to see them, I highly recommend catching them that put on a great live performance. How fun. I mean, you, you get to combine this energy for the music, you know, the music side, this personal passion of yours with the business side. I mean, how often does that happen? Well, hopefully it happens more and more for more people because I think, you know, I could, I could do this job in any, industry, but I know that I wouldn't be as happy in another industry. It's so important, right? I mean, that's really what creates longevity. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Very cool. So we're going to talk more about Heil Sound and of course the marketing that you provide such an amazing brand out there. So what are some of the most important decisions you make as the marketing leader of your organization? For Heil Sound specifically, we are a smaller business than most people realize. We have a 50-year history and I think one of the hardest decisions that I have to make on a regular basis is what to do and what not to do. A lot of people want to work with us or have us work with them in terms of, you know, advertising and promotions and picking and choosing sometimes makes makes it hard. It makes it feel judgy, you know, and right. I think, you know, that's that's something that I think we all struggle with here. Like, who do we work with? Who do we not work with? And, you know, just keeping everything sort of brand aligned and making sure, you know, the artists that we're working with are sort of following our brand alignment as well. How did you get to the point of really understanding and defining that brand alignment? Because I'm sure since you've been at the helm, it's changed. Yeah. So this company's 50 or well, it's, I think it's 52 or 53 years old now. And it obviously had an identity long before I got here. And when when I started working on the brand of Heil Sound as it would become known today, I wanted to take bits and pieces of that history and nod to them without just keeping us firmly planted in the past. When you have a history like that with a company, sometimes it's hard to shake that off and get people to move beyond the things that you no longer do and just focus on the things that you're trying to, you know, market and brand today. Yeah, it's so important, right? And I think of Aunt Jemima, right? And she has just stood the test of time. What an incredible, iconic syrup brand. Yeah. But she's had these refinements over time as well, just to, to make her current without losing the legacy um, that she built so many years ago. And I think when brands can really build themselves into that that brand affinity, knowing that slight variations on who they are um, will still stand that test of time, it, it really says a lot about the legacy of that brand. Yeah, it does. And, you know, it's funny because people will come up to us at shows and they'll have pictures of 
like old speaker cabinets that we made and they say, I still have this, I still use this. And it's kind of incredible. And it also is a quick reminder that there is this history of the company that is not just endearing to people, but it means something to them. Right. And we have to- attachment. Yeah. And we have to continue to live up to that. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Now your role, you just mentioned trade shows. Obviously it's to help um, drive inquiry and end customer count, uh, which affects the bottom line, right? What is one of the biggest roadblocks that you continually face and how do you overcome that? Bandwidth. Yeah. We're, We're a small team here. We have roughly 13 different verticals that we need to target at all times. A lot of our markets, once we started asking them the questions and you know listening to what they had to say, they didn't want to hear about what the other segments were doing. And I'm like, well, that's great because mm-hmm. you know any team has time to do you know 13 different pieces of content a week. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense to me that podcasters don't necessarily want to hear about drum miking techniques, or maybe they do because they happen to be both. But um, you know, I think getting Getting that segmentation down for a company like this that has such broad categories of interests is probably one of the biggest challenges that we face. Yeah, I can imagine. It's that diversification that is key, though. I mean, that's the health of the business, right? Yeah, and I think everybody wants to feel like you understand them. Um, If I take too much time talking to podcasters, then live sound people think, well, Heil Sound just doesn't care about us anymore. And they've kind of moved on. And you have to keep juggling all those different areas so that nobody feels like they've been dropped. That's right. Now, what are three communication tips that you've learned about connecting the sales-driven vision of executive leadership and and your team there to the more creative components that you push out in really marketing the growing brand? So I'm really lucky that our executive team here at Heil Sound, they kind of just let us go with our creative vision. And they do that because they trust that we stay in brand alignment. The team that I have here has been working together for many, many years. So we have definitely earned that trust over time. But it's really about like brand alignment and individual identities. Let me explain what I mean by individual identities. So of those 13 markets, each one needs to feel like I'm having a one-on-one conversation with you rather than I am sending out an email blast. You are getting targeted by an ad. We want everything to feel very personal and very personal. And so that Heil Sound becomes and stays about the people that work here and the people that create these products and the people that we create them for. I love it. And I love the concept that you just introduced of personal and personable. It seems so simple, but it's so iconic. Yeah. It's something that can be hard to do at times, you know, when when you're stressed and you're trying to do five things at once. It's hard to write, you know, funny, quirky email subjects five times over. Yeah. Um, but you just, you, you practice. And I think keeping a sense of humility about what you're doing, regardless of the size of the company is important. You're not just blasting out emails. You're sending a note to someone. Yeah. That authenticity is key. And, and we're going to talk about some of the strategy behind that now. We know that uh, competitive differentiation positioning and the messaging that you mentioned is key. What process have you deployed to develop messaging that truly does, you know, differentiate, it builds the authenticity, it builds top of mind awareness, and they feel they belong to you. So one thing that we do a lot of is we do co-promotions with other companies. And 
it's been interesting over the years because sometimes I can't remember if it was a Seinfeld episode or if it was something else, but they they approached the idea of like a reacher and a settler. <laughs> so in a relationship, you have you know somebody that's like hypothetically better than the other person, and in these partner promotions that we do, you know sometimes we'll be the person that is sort of le- leading the charge, and we're the one with the experience and the exposure in that area, and then sometimes it's the other way around, and we're working with a company that has a broader reach than we do, and we're sort of leveraging that to build our audiences. And so that's one of the things that we've been doing a lot of lately. And I think one of the interesting things that partner marketing does is that it kind of shows that you're in the know. You're not just staying in your little bubble and making your product and ignoring the other aspects of that. So when I talk to podcasters, you know, I'm not just talking about microphones. I'm talking about what kind of interface or mixer they would use. And we don't right. even make we don't even make those items, but it's an item that we have to utilize for our products to work with computers because we're making professional audio microphones that not, aren't necessarily, you know, to be plugged straight into a computer. And so recognizing that a guitar player's journey doesn't stop when he picks out a guitar or when he picks out an amp. Like there are just so many things that make up that person's sound or that person's experience as musician or broadcaster and being willing to talk about those other aspects rather than just focusing on that salesperson approach of, well, I'm only selling a microphone, so I'm only going to talk about microphones. I was just talking to somebody today about acoustic treatments and lighting that I use when I do podcasts. And that has nothing to do with anything that I sell right? or, or that you know we sell at Heil Sound. So you know, I think being willing to be a part of those, com- those bigger conversations is something that has really uh, turned the dial for us. Well, and it's smart positioning. There's no no doubt about it. Now, building an integrated approach is not easy. There's so many uh, considerations, so many important aspects of it from your own shared, earned, and, and paid media types. What are two or three tips that you can provide our listeners today regarding building their own approach? Uh, list segmentation, first and foremost. Owned, owned email lists are our bread and butter. We've been building our email list for years and years and years. And um, originally I had, I think, five different segments in our email list. And I think we have something like 20 now, which seems like a lot. There is a lot of crossover in the content that goes out to those groups. So it's not quite as daunting as it sounds when I say that. Right. But just being really super specific about what you're saying to people and just not boring them. I mean, if if you constantly think about your content marketing as having a one-on-one conversation with someone instead of thinking of them as a group. You know, it's it's a little bit cliched, but have an avatar as your ideal customer for each one of these groups, and then it becomes easier to communicate with them. I think list segmentation of owned email lists is probably my biggest tip for people because things happen like the Facebook apocalypse, so to speak. <laughs> and I just kind of went, well, okay. And the owned part being the key there, right? Yes, owned. Yeah. Own, own, own. We, it's ours. Yeah, and one of the things that you know, I was explaining to our executives the other day is that with the social media, we have what I consider the social media life cycle, and so we build an audience. We do some sort of promotion that pulls the audience into our email list, and then we start over. But all the while, everything that we're doing on social is to pull those emails into our own media list instead of relying strictly on Facebook because, you know, they change stuff every day. And it's like you get to a certain point when you've been doing this for a long time that you just, you know, you're, you're building your house on borrowed land. And if you're not getting those people offline or, you know, 
into your lists, it's only a matter of time before something will happen to where you won't be able to access them. And then congratulations, your 40,000 or 100,000 people that were following you are now essentially dead to you. So um, we do do paid advertising and we do some traditional placement. So there's still a lot of, you know, media companies in the music industry and in various areas, but we do a lot about a lot of Facebook stuff. And I think there's still a lot of bang for your buck if you've done really good list building for your ad segments. And that's one thing that we have been doing for years now is building those lists and keeping that stuff highly segmented. So I guess like if there's one big takeaway from everything I say, <laughs> it's segmentation. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's owning what, what you can for sure. Yeah. What steps do you take rather to assure that the desired quality for both yourself and your audience and, and the executive leadership is achieved uh, through the goals and, and, and the brand itself. I think one of the biggest things that I do that I think a lot of people are afraid to do is I'm not afraid to throw things away. When I had my podcasting business, I used to tell my clients, um, we're going to record this first episode and we might throw it away. Like I just told them that right out of the gate. I'm like, you're probably going to suck and that's going to be okay. Because There's a first for all of us, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think I'm a musician, so practice makes perfect. And you practice and you practice. And if it's not up to the quality that you want it to be, you ditch it and you try again. Right. I've had that happen, you know, spend a day doing a video shoot, come back and you just look at it. And it's like, this is garbage. It's like I could smack something together and sort of make a really poor version of this and put it out there. But does it communicate, you know, what we're trying to be at Heil Sound? It, does it represent the professionalism that we're trying to project of ourselves? Like when we put out the podcast for Heil Sound, um, I was talking to some of my podcaster friends that have been doing this for a very long time and I sent them episode one and they were all dumbfounded at how good the podcast sounded. And I was like, I work for Heil Sound. <laughs> was there an option here where I could put out something really crappy and that would be okay? Like this is, you know, we made that podcast as you know, a celebration of our 50th anniversary. And, you know, we put it out in one year and we worked really hard to make a really cool um, piece of content that is, you know, autobiographical to the owner of this company. And so this was, this was not very personal. Yeah. It wasn't just a piece of marketing. It was, you know, somebody's story and the story of this company. And it was very personal and very, you know, and it, it makes us very personable when we just, when we share ourselves with our customers and we snap a lot of pictures around here and post them on Instagram and like we have a chihuahua (laughs) that's our our shop dog. And so we post pictures of our shop dog and she's probably more popular than any of us. But, you know, we just, we make sure that, 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 that personality is shining through in everything that we do. I love it. Now, what do you feel is one of the biggest challenges you face in creating that customer loyalty um, that is so important to us all? Keeping your cool when it doesn't go right. Mm. I had somebody just message yesterday through Facebook and they were just going off. They were so upset. It was a ham radio guy. So we make products for the amateur radio market. And this guy was very upset that one of our hand switches didn't do what he wanted it to do. Well, as a matter of fact, and I had to explain this to the guy, if we had made the product to do what he wanted it to do, it would actually be against FCC regulations. And so, you know, despite the fact that I had an angry customer, I had to explain to him why we do what we do. And then once I did, he was totally fine with it. He was like, oh, that's okay. But if I had reacted back to him the way, you know, he was sending me this message and he was like, I'm very, 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 very disappointed. And okay, guy, you know, I think it's just when you open yourself up to having one-on-one interactions with your customers, whether it's through social media and now, you know, with the changes of the Facebook algorithm, it is 
all about that. Well, you know, I think it's really interesting too. We had a situation where we've our office is on you know Main Street USA, if you will, and um, we don't get too many walk-ins because you know we're a service organization and we work with um, very you know high-profile clients, right? Mm-hmm. And so we had someone come to the office today to or at, at one point to just sit down and, and talk to me with out an appointment. Not a huge deal. Typically, I'll just pop my head out and, and let them know, you know, I'm unavailable, but I'd be happy to set up you know, a time to meet. But on this particular day, we had the front doors locked because we had some issues with the homeless walking in and taking food and stuff like that. So we've, we've unfortunately, we have to lock the door. He was incensed um, that our, our door was locked. And it took someone about 10 seconds to actually get up, go unlock the door and invite him into the office. Well, and, and then of course I was unable to meet with him. So he was very angry. He went to a review site to talk about it. And for me, what that told me is why would we want to even consider working with this individual? <laughs> you know, yeah. um, so the reverse side of this is very, very good. Sometimes is my message here. You learn about someone at the onset that sometimes can take three or four or five months to learn, and you haven't wasted the time in the interim. Yeah, it can definitely go both ways. We have to deal a lot with message boards. They've always right. been big in pro audio, and about I think it was probably like five or six years ago. I thought, oh, I should really sort of follow these and see, you know, what the vibe is, what people are talking about, are there, you know, issues we don't know about, you know, is what's the, just what's the chatter out there? And following the forums and message boards is about like reading the comments on a news site. It's just right. not a good idea, especially if you're a brand that that people talk about a lot. And the other thing that I quickly realized is they don't need me to jump in and talk to them about our product. Within, you know, one or two comments, if somebody had an issue, there'd be somebody else out there that could like talk them through it. And it wasn't me. And I think people respond better to their peers having those conversations than a brand trying to jump in and act like like they understand what you're doing in the real right. world. So I think I think that's where you have to find that line between being personal and just letting it go. Because right. I think when you when you have a personal brand approach, uh, you can quickly fall into the territory of micromanaging every tiny aspect of your business. And that is a slippery, slippery slope that you don't want to be on, or you will you know, be on forums all night long. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and that takes a lot of time. We know that, which is probably a great segue into my next question. What is one of the most difficult scenarios you've encountered in your marketing role and how did you overcome it? Most difficult. Jeez. In 13 years, there have been a lot of them. We seem to be having this year in particular, we are having a crazy year in terms of uh, trade shows. We're doing about one a month. So it feels like the second we get back from one, we're immediately prepping for the next one. And I think just in general this year, my struggle is that catch-up time and catching up while preparing. <laughs> it is difficult. One of the things that we always talk about is if um, you've got a three-day show, block it out as a four-day show, right? And that fourth day, which is your first day back in the office, use that as the follow-up day to all the leads that you've made. You know, that would be a sales role, right? Or in your case, use it as the, you know, the follow-up to get everything established for the next show. Or, and, and just, if you block it out that way, it makes it so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, time management is probably something that everybody struggles with. And yeah, what true. I try to do is I give myself like, I give myself a day break before I do my uh, follow-ups to business cards. Mm -hmm. And what I do in that time is I catch up on the things that I neglected while I was gone. Right. 
Um, so the people that's emails have been sitting in there for sometimes a week. Our shows tend to be four full days of show, which means we have a setup day prior. So every single trade show takes about five days. Right. Minus travel time. So it's very common for me to be gone for a total of seven days and um, hotel internet reception being what it is that uh, can't always get to the emails while I'm on the road. And yeah, time managing that for me is, you know, next day, catch up on the things that have been sitting there for a week, then do the business cards and just really try to get through those things in like two days so that it's not dragging on into the next show. Yeah. It's important. No, no doubt about it. Now, how do you find the time to actually stay ahead of the constant marketing innovation and, and change um, that is upon us? So I'm going to give a little plug to <laughs> the Social Media Examiner Society. I do on, so on Fridays, I watch the social media does, Social Media Examiner does a live show where they just sort of like hammer through what's changed in one week. And quite frankly, it's the bare minimum that I can do in a week to to sort of keep up with this stuff because every time you, you turn around, Instagram's changing. I know. Twitter's changing something. Facebook has had five changes every week, you know. So you really have to keep up with that. And, you know, GDPR is on us. So now everybody is sort of in, in panic land trying to implement and make changes and how do we do that? And, you know, that's the sort of stuff that they cover on there. And they actually had a lawyer on there last week to sort of go over, you know, what this means. Right. Really. And I was so grateful for that because it's like, well, how am I going to, like, when am I going to have time to call up a lawyer and be like, okay, what do we need to do? Yeah. Well, I, I, that's some great advice. We um, subscribe to this as well social media examiner and it is just a a very valuable tool. So thank you for the plug. Yeah. Um, That's always a good thing. What do you think is the most important communication tip for team success that you can offer other marketing experts? Um, So my team, we do, we do a weekly meeting. We're all located in different cities, uh, just my marketing team. And um, so we do a weekly call. Everybody sort of brings their notes. And I think when you don't give people just an open door policy, they get a little more organized. So we don't even have the ability to have an open door where you can just like question, leave the room, question, leave the room, you know, that sort of thing. So everybody's very organized and everybody comes to the meeting with a list. Like, here's what I got accomplished. Here's what, you know, fell off the radar. And, you know, here's some ideas that I've brought to the table today. And it's kind of an interesting way to work. You know, we use a lot of freelancers at Heil Sound. If we didn't, we would probably have like a team of 20. (laughs) But, you know, it's like, especially with content marketing, if we're, you know, talking to drummers, we need somebody who actually knows that to write the articles. Absolutely. Not just somebody who's a writer. It won't work. It will sound like generic content and there's enough of that out there already. And, you know, like when we do videos and stuff, we um, sometimes we do them ourselves. Sometimes we will outsource them to people that, again, are, that's their area. And um, we, we did one of those just recently and it was very, very popular. It was a drum miking video. And like everybody that watched it was like, this is incredible. This is information that I like, I really needed to know. I never would have thought to ask. And I'm like, quite frankly, neither would we, <laughs> you know, right. like this particular person, you know, has a recording studio. These are issues that they deal with. They just happen to demonstrate them with our microphones. And it just worked out as an incredible, 
incredibly good piece of educational content. And now it's just like, okay, well, how do we do that again? Yeah, I love it. Michelle Levitt, you have shared so many pearls of wisdom with us today. I thank you so much for your time, the brand alignment and the individual vertical alignment to become personal and personable is an absolute key. Thank you for your time and your appearance on the Integrate and Ignite podcast. Thanks for having me. This episode is complete, but the inspiration has just begun. Head over to avocetcommunications.com for show notes and more aha moments. Tune in regularly to ignite your integrated business and marketing strategies with Lori Jones and the Integrate and Ignite podcast.